Welcome to Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, where we talk about the latest in financial literacy education. I'm Doretta Thompson, Financial Literacy Leader for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. We provide no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. This is a special series of the Mastering Money podcast, focusing on the financial and mental health aspects of COVID-19. Our guests will shed light on the current situation, as well as share insights on how to navigate through these uncharted waters. You can find our podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Please do write and review us. If you have any questions, you can get in touch with us at financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. Our topic today is dealing with debt, and I'm pleased to have three experts from the consumer insolvency practice of Grant Thornton joining us from different parts of the country. Rob Hunt is the managing partner of the consumer insolvency practice in Halifax. Sander Bay-based partner Frank Fabiano serves clients in Northern Ontario and Manitoba. And for an Alberta perspective, we're joined by Lethbridge-based senior manager Sandy Lyons. Thank you all for being here today. The COVID-19 pandemic is permeating so many aspects of our life, and not least the personal financial stability of many Canadians. Stats Can just reported the unemployment rate went from 7.8 in March to 13% in April, and almost 2 million jobs lost. The federal and provincial governments are working closely to try to mitigate the impact as much as possible. Each of you represents a different part of the country. Are you seeing any differences in how the pandemic is affecting Canadians? Um, Rob, what, is, what does it look like from the ground on, in Halifax? In Halifax and, uh, you know, more broadly in, in the maritime provinces, Atlantic provinces, certainly I think that we are seeing the impact of COVID in in a number of ways. So, for example, with the retail businesses being closed down, we're obviously seeing a, a big reduction in the number of people who are employed in the retail sector in the region as well. And, um, you know, with, with, with restaurants being closed, you know, they employ a lot of people in, in this region. Uh, they're closed down. At the other hand, though, the government employs a lot of people in Atlanta, Canada, in Nova Scotia in particular, and those jobs have continued to be pretty stable uh, as the government has continued to uh, to work through uh, the various programs that, that it has to keep the, those people busy. Uh, and likewise, with aquaculture being such a, a heavy industry in Atlanta, Canada, uh, we're already seeing signs where there's delays in fisheries and possible fisheries not opening, and that uh, likewise is adding to the... Uh, to the increase in the unemployment in this region during this time. Thanks. Frank, what does it look like from uh, Thunder Bay, Manitoba, the north? Thanks, Doretta. Yeah, so for us here, we, we have a bit of a different industry um, in northwestern and northern Ontario. Here, our industry is we don't have tourism very much like uh, in the east coast. Ours is more uh, manufacturing-based, so we've got uh, you know Bombardier, uh, car plant that makes subway trains uh, that uh, continues to operate. Uh, we've got a lot of forestry sawmills and pulp mills that continue to operate. Mining is another big component in the north, north and it's continuing to operate it, with the exception of one mine that did have a bit of a breakout and as a result they shut down for about a month or two but their plan is to reopen. And similar to the east, uh, Thunder Bay and Winnipeg are hubs 
uh, and as a result, there's a lot of government jobs. So when it comes to teachers and healthcare workers, uh, they're all working. From that perspective, we've been fortunate in our areas. However, the same problem across the country, restaurants have uh, been shut down, hotels are struggling, um, and the jobs that go with it, retail. So we're seeing those sorts of things as well for us, um, and I'm sure other places, nonprofits have also felt it. Uh, and, and as a result of all of this, we've got a lot of increased unemployment, and we're feeling it here. Um, unfortunately, the most vulnerable people are the ones that are hardest hit, because they're the ones that with the lower paying jobs or the single parent homes. Um, we have a large indigenous population off-reserve that, that struggle when they're off-reserve. And as a result, we're seeing a huge demand for our food banks. So at the same time that there's increased demand, um, and even with shelters, uh, you know, domestic shelters, there's overwhelming. And there's not as many donations coming in, yet the demand is even stronger. So it's a real dilemma that we're finding um, that I'm sure other parts of the country are experiencing. Thanks, Frank. Sandy, um, I expect things may be looking a little bit different in oil country um, because the economy there was already uh, experiencing some pretty significant blows. Yeah, Doretta, uh, I service all of Alberta and uh, be it from Fort McMurray, which of course has just recently experienced another major catastrophe of a flood this spring, which is on the back of a, a fire a few years ago, major fire. It's, it's a struggle in the oil and gas sector in general because of the price of the commodity and our, our local economy in agriculture as well is suffering because gate receipts are down. Uh, of course, we've had the outbreaks in our three meatpacking plants that have ceased uh, processing for periods of time, which is backlogging the processing of, meat pro of beef meat products. It's also impacted our, our poultry and, and uh, hog industry as well to some extent. Uh, so when it comes to the, being the food basket, uh, as the Western provinces are believed to be, it's, it's impacting agriculture, our agriculture workers, our ability to bring in the foreign workers that we sometimes require uh, for the lower paying jobs and yet it's creating some new opportunities for our local uh, people that are in those low paying uh, or, or in, the, in that minimum wage category, which is also always a struggle. Between oil and gas and agriculture, I think they're being hit the most uh, at this time in Alberta, as well as tourism. We have a number of private tourism operators who they're they're seriously looking at can they reopen? When do they reopen? And a lot of them are tied as to, as, as having nonprofit funding, and of course, as Frank indicated, that is way down. Our indigenous population, as well in Alberta, is, is suffering at this time, especially the off reserve. Uh, on reserve, it still is a is a struggle as well, uh, and uh, that is that is difficult in general as we try and meet the needs. Um, I think that we're seeing in Alberta a lot more of the psychological impact, maybe, of fear and not being able to address it in manners. Uh, we've beefed up our mental health quite a bit, trying to bring on other individuals that are, can assist in that regard that may not be necessarily clinical psychologists, but other types of counseling services. Um, as the mental health piece has become difficult, um, we've also seen an increase in domestic violence issues. Our police services are having to respond a little bit more to those types of events. I think we're seeing across the country that our police services are having a hard time coping at this time themselves with everything that they're now facing 
in, in that environment. And it's not straightforward at all what we're all experiencing, but I think we're all in it together and we all are experiencing the same a little bit across the country. Um, but yeah, the unemployment rate is skyrocketing, uh, more so in that tourism, retail, uh, restaurant, uh, personal service businesses. Thank you. So you've given us a sense of what's happening across the country. You know, it's interesting, we see that for people who are still working, who can work from home, they're facing a certain set of challenges, but the unemployment rate and people facing job loss and either have lost their jobs already or, or may in the future. Sandy, you mentioned the mental health aspects, the emotions around it. You're all experts in the consumer debt field. There is a significant emotional aspect to, to finances, and, and I know you've all worked with this for a number of years. Are you seeing things being increasingly intense now? Um, and if so, how are you helping people through that? Robert, do you want to start on that one? I think it's fair to say that the, the people that uh, that we speak with every single day the people we interact with every single day are definitely feeling the uh, the mental strain as a result of of, of COVID-19, and it's it, it seems like it's been a bit of a compounding impact. Um, so oftentimes, you know, absent of COVID-19, before it became a pandemic, before it was even in our radar, it's not unusual that we would see people who have financial difficulties that come to see us, and they have shared with us their stories of the anxiety that they may be feeling or the depression that they may have. And when you put the COVID into the mix, we're definitely seeing an elevated level of anxiety and stress for people. There's, there's still so much uncertainty now compared to what there was before COVID. Um, and people you know, that had financial difficulties before, often they do have employment and they know that they've got a job they can rely on, for example. Um, they've got the, the support of their families through, the, through their financial challenges, you know, emotional support or otherwise. And with, with COVID, a lot of people now don't even know if, I mean, they've lost their job. So now they don't even know how they're going to, to manage to put uh, income into their households to cover the basics of life. What we're doing with people to get to the second part of your question, how, you know, what advice are we giving them? Is certainly we're not, uh, we're not psychologists, we're not sociologists, um, but rather, you know, what we try to do is use our empathy and our compassion as licensed insolvency trustees to help people to understand uh, that there may be some options for them to consider that will help alleviate some of their financial concerns, which gives them some of the relief that they need with the stress. What I have found generally is that when people meet with us, they walk away knowing that they have options and the sheer fact that they know there's options just lets them exhale, lets them breathe a sign of relief knowing that they actually could control the situation. There's options to help them to manage their debt. And that's one of the best things I think that we can help in what we do every single day is to give them the sense of hope that there is a way out uh, and I think that that really profoundly will help people to put some of this into perspective and to know that they are um, uh, that they're going to be okay. Uh, the financial troubles will certainly um, eventually they'll be able to work them out, but people have a bit of a plan, and I think that helps a tremendous amount to to calming them down. So that's a little bit of what uh, what I've seen and and I've heard about. 
And let's explore that a little bit. Um, I think that one of the things about about the whole situation is that so much is out of your control. And when people feel that everything is out of control, the stress levels go up enormously. What steps can people take? Um, where can they start? What should they be thinking about to try to get a little bit of control in this situation? Frank? I think uh, for individuals, uh, I think it's just taking the time to assess their situation. You know, where you are, don't overreact. I mean, that's the big thing that I find people overreact. And so assess your situation, you know, both uh, mentally, how you're feeling, and, and financially. I would start and just say just stay calm. Look at, you know, where you are. You're, you're usually in you're going to be in your home right now with your family members. And I would basically you know, talk with your family about how everybody's doing openly about feelings and, and, and get that all out on the table. I think a big part of the fear is obviously the financial part. And I think on that one, I've, I've encouraged people to, uh, to basically put everything down on paper. Um, the government has put a lot of programs out there. Be aware of those programs. When people are reaching out to us right now with concerns, we're sharing with them. Here's what the government's put in support programs um, that, that can help you in these times if you've got reduced income. So. We've, we've really challenged people to, to look at that to make sure that they're protected. You've talked about the importance of getting everything down and understanding where you are. Can you give us some sort of practical tips on how to get that honest situation on paper of where you are so you understand your current financial situation, which is that all-important first step? What I usually recommend individuals is you start off by what money is coming in the door in your family household. Um, write that all down. Uh, look at what expenses are going out the door right now. Um, and then by doing that, then you could get a sense of are your revenues coming in the door, have they gone, have they declined? Um, and, and what are your expenses? So I think between the two, if you can put all those things down, what I've encouraged people to do as well is almost do like a mini cash flow as kind of project, here's your money. And, and I would say by the week almost going forward, where do you see this going, going, you know, going forward with money coming in and money going out. And that'll help kind of project uh, where you may need to make some changes quicker, right? Because I find oftentimes what people um, are guilty of is that we don't respond quickly enough to um, maybe reducing our expenses. It'll be all on the paper, and once it's on paper, it uh, it's a lot clearer to understand your situation when it's written down, and you can see things clearly. And especially when you extend it out, then you'll understand when payments are due uh, and what what you can maybe defer and what you, you can't defer, right? So it just makes a lot more sense when you put it all down and you can see it. Sandy, when people get everything down in paper and they, they need to develop that kind of plan, one of the things that's important, and, and Frank did allude to this, is the understanding what necessary expenses are. What's the difference between a need expense and, and really what is a discretionary expense? I think it's important to take and look at this from sort of a hierarchy of needs. Uh, the things that we first focus in, of course, are on shelter, food, medical needs, and the basics of utilities. Transportation has been one where a lot of people have experienced a reduction in that cost, for example, and that should also be taken into the, into the equation. Of course, unfortunately, 
reduced uh, transportation costs can be things such as, well, do I take insurance off the second vehicle in the household if we have the, that luxury of a second vehicle? Are there car payments and what can we do with the finance companies in the short term to deal with those? But once we deal with that food, utilities, uh, medical, and housing, uh, then there are the, those are the basic must-have needs in, in most cases. The next level then is the, that discretionary spend. Can we can we reduce those expenses? In some cases, uh, we're experiencing people that have to take the deferral of a mortgage because the income has dropped so low. And the important thing there is knowing that really a deferral is not dealing with reducing the interest that's accumulating, but knowing that that's going to be a future cost that we'll have to catch up with. The same is occurring in, in finance contracts with on vehicles these days. Um, it's not unusual to see a bank give a, up to a six-month deferral on the mortgage right now. Same thing is happening with uh, finance companies in general. At the end of the day, it's coming up with, okay, what are those basic needs? How are they being covered? What do we have left over? And then what do we choose to pay versus not pay, especially if we're in a, in a position of just reduced income due to unemployment or because we're relying upon the CERB or other government programs to, to cover off basic needs at this time. The government's done a great job with you know, improve, increasing uh, Canada child benefit, but of course, part of that is that now childcare isn't as big an issue because we're at home with the children, and trying to address that issue has also helped modify it. But of course, we do run into maybe some, some of that, uh, what we think is discretionary isn't necessarily discretionary. If it, it means talking about counseling services to keep the family working together, Unfortunately, we've had a number of situations in Alberta where people are displaced and they're going home to their parents, or alternatively, the parents are coming to live with them because of some of the issues uh, and concerns with long-term care facilities right now. And as a result, all those moving costs have to be factored in. And as Frank says, it's almost a week-by-week -week assessment necessary to take control of that one thing that hopefully they can have some control over, which is their future finances. If our first step is um, in these situations to understand where we are, then we want to maximize our income, which, which Frank has referred to and Sandy, you talked about a number of the, the government plans, etc., that are available. We then look to limit spending to true necessities. And then we move on to look at deferring what we possibly can. Robert, would you like to talk to us a little bit about what people should understand about what it means to defer payments so that the decisions that they make now will put them in the best possible position when we do emerge from this crisis situation? So some of the major banks in Canada have programs in place that will provide for temporary relief to consumers who have a mortgage or a line of credit um, with them by allowing a deferral of payments for three to six months. And one of the things that's just important to understand with this is what deferral means is that you don't have to pay me right now. You can pay me a little bit later. You can pay later for that payment, um, but you actually you have to pay the payment at some point in time. And it's, it's really important to understand that deferrals do not mean forgiveness of the debt. So what I've advised people is, look, 
if you can, you should explore with your lending institution whether a deferral of your mortgage or line of credit or even a, a car loan might be possible. In fact, some utilities have deferred. There's a lot of municipalities that have deferred the payment of property taxes. Um, and in some of these cases, uh, I think that the implications of deferring are, are very, very positive in that, number one, in the immediate time, it, it really frees up your cash needs. You no longer have to fund whatever it is that you might be deferring. And in some cases, that really comes with no real cost or opportunity cost. So, for example, you know, I, I think you get a deferral of property taxes, and they're saying, we're not going to charge you interest on your deferral. You don't have to pay property taxes for six months. And, you know, so there's really no opportunity cost for, for taking that deferral because there's no interest. When it comes to looking at your mortgage payments and deferring your mortgage payments, for example, it's really important to recognize that, number one, this is a short-term relief measure, and interest will continue to accrue during this deferral period. And what that means is that your mortgage, uh, although you don't have to make the principal payment, uh, will continue to have interest that continues to accrue on it. So there could be an implication that if you def take a mortgage deferral, over the long term, you will actually pay more for that mortgage than if you had made your payments in time, on time because interest continues to accrue. And in a mortgage, interest can accrue on interest. And our recommendations for people is if you don't absolutely need to take the deferrals, then you shouldn't. If you can continue to make your mortgage payments, your car payments, your line of credit payments, your utility payments, etc., cetera, um, please pay those if you can continue to do it. Because again, the interest cost is going to be higher in many cases. And secondly, you still have to make those payments at some point in the future. And it's not clear well how each utility or credit card company or bank will allow you to repay what you have missed in terms of payments. So you may be, to some degree, pushing uh, the problem down the road. I just worry that people are going to um, find that they've just pushed the problem off for five or six months, and they're still going to have to deal with those, those payments in the future when that deferral period has, has ended. But again, I see them as not a, you know, almost a last resort, but, uh, but if you can continue to make your payments, please make your payments. If you need the deferral, then do it really wisely and understand, you know, how you're going to make up for those deferrals by talking with uh, the lender or the organization that you're getting the deferral from. If I am considering a deferral of payment because that's, I've determined that that's really necessary in my situation, the ones I should start with would be the ones that had no penalty attached to them or no interest rate um, attached to deferring the payment, like what municipal taxes or utilities that have happened in, in a lot of municipalities, rather than the ones that are going to charge interest and interest on interest. Yeah, that's, look, that's a great strategy. Um, you know, they, that, that certainly can help. I think it, it, people have to determine if that's enough for them to get through their cash flow crunch that they might have. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I mean, as long as, as long as there's no cost to it and as long as you're confident that you'll be able to make that payment in the future when it's due, um, I think it's absolutely worth, uh, worth exploring uh, the, the interest or penalty-free ones. Um, but but recognize, I, I think, unfortunately, I think some people, you know, are led to believe or just believe that 
it's a forgiveness of the of the debt. I've not heard of any credit card utility bank forgiving debt. This is really just about giving some temporary relief. Okay. If I have looked at my financial situation and I have done all of these things, I have identified every source of income to, you know, government program or whatever that, that applies to me that, that I'm eligible for. I have reduced myself to, you know, necessary spending and I've looked at deferral of costs, etc. And what if it still isn't enough? What if I need to cash in some of my savings or I need to look at RRSPs or I need to look at some other source of funds to get me through? Is there an order that I should look at these things in? Is there is there a way to plan how to touch my savings for the future? Frank, can you give us some thoughts on that? First of all, I would, you know, make that a last resort because people have to be careful of when accessing some of your investments, what could be the tax effect later? And an example would be, you mentioned RRSPs. With RRSPs, you could go ahead and cash them out. And then later on, when you do your tax return, all of a sudden you're, you're you know, you held back a little bit, you typically five or 10%, but your tax ends up being significantly more. And then there's a shortfall during, you know, when you file your tax return next April. So that's the danger of, of accessing the RRSP. The other one that, you know, I hesitate, but one that you could do is something like uh, an RESP that is has less of a tax effect. Uh, however, that's going against your children's education. And I don't really personally don't really recommend that. But that's another option that someone could could go to. The other good one that I would suggest would be like, you know, first one I would go to is probably the tax free savings accounts, right? Uh, because there is no tax consequence to that, right? You can just take the money out, uh, similar to uh, Canada savings bonds. That's another good one that you can take out. Um, it'll, it'll stop obviously earning interest and investment, but there's no real, um, tax effect to you like the RRSP, right? So I would say if you had to go to investments, obviously, if you've got a savings emergency fund, this is where it's a great time. If you had one of emergency funds saved previously, this is what we preach uh, to a lot of our clients uh, to have an emergency fund set up. So this would be the ideal time to go to it. So if you don't have that, then I think you go to your tax-free savings accounts because of the less of a tax consequence. You can look at your Canada savings bonds, those types of investments that don't have that tax effect. Um, RESPs, again, I hesitate. I throw it out there because people ask about it. I, I don't prefer, prefer, you know, typically like doing that one. And then our RSPs, would, for me, would be one of the last ones because of that tax effect. And Sandy, what if I find that even that isn't enough and I need to look at incurring debt? What kinds of things should I consider to make sure that I'm absolutely minimizing my exposure so I'm in the best possible situation when I come out the other side? I think that the first part is to understand how much money you may need going forward, that cash flow concept of your budget. Once we kind of have an idea of what that amount looks like, then it's having the discussions with your existing financial institution. Uh, the, the HELOC or the home equity line of credit is usually secured against uh, real estate that you own. 
and usually will have the lowest interest rate. So interest rate is the is the is one of the primary key aspects of looking at what options are available. Usually, if it's a collateralized loan, such as a home equity line of credit, uh, it's going to have a, an interest rate close to the to, to a mortgage rate, which will probably be the lowest interest rate. Then we get to lines of credit that may have been negotiated with your bank or that you're going to go negotiate with your bank because they're open to that aspect, uh, looking at, the, at whether or not the line of credit can be an interest-only payment or interest-in-principal payment and what the interest cost is going to be. Really, it tends to be low, look to your lowest interest option to your highest interest rate. If you do have to absolutely come down to borrowing, be really comfortable with the interest rate that's going to be being asked of you and what the payment scheme will be to repay. And if we can keep those challenges under control, then of course borrowing makes some sense. But understand that, it, as, as, as Rob said, that's a future cost that you're going to have to deal with. And we may be pushing a problem down the road that may require some form of financial restructuring in the future from a uh, global perspective. But at the same time, if we can figure our way through it. And, you know, uh, one of the things that Frank meant, didn't mention was, you know, we sometimes have surplus assets, the, the second vehicle, et cetera. Even in these times, selling off some of your items uh, can, that, that are not necessary can help with that cash flow as well. For our last question, Frank, where can Canadians go if they feel they're really running out of financial options? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, right now during this pandemic, uh, there's so much uncertainty, and and so people um, have been calling us, just uncertain as to, uh, you know, where who they should speak to. So, in the whole insolvency industry, there are different in, uh, organizations out there that can help people. There's, for instance, um, credit counseling uh, across can Canada that uh, people can reach out to. That uh, those individuals will speak to them. There's also, uh, in some provinces, what they call the ordinary payment of debts, um, that where you're paying back um, most of your debts, in that case, through a court process. Um, so that's another area that if it's offered in your province that you can do that. Um, or the other place which all of us are on this call are licensed insolvency trustees. And what we are is we're registered by the federal government um, so that we are... Um, given the blessings that we are able to talk to individuals to explain to them uh, their uh, their options that they have, that they can go and, and check out uh, in the event that they're in this dilemma. And we can help guide them um, to all of the different options that they may be in front of. Well, there's three options. Usually when they come and talk to us, individuals can sometimes do things informally themselves, possibly if they, if they need to... Uh, try to just settle something with maybe one particular creditor. If they're in really, really much deeper situation, then when they talk to us, we can talk to them about the two legal options that we offer, which is talking about um, what's called a proposal to your creditors um, or last resort, which is to file a bankruptcy. Now, right now, as people are talking to us right now, it's a bit premature. Often, a lot of discussions we're having you know, there's so much uncertainty. We don't know when this is going to end or get to more clarity. So a lot of the discussions we're having with people are just really educating them about all of their options right now. 
with that said, there are some people that uh, are forced with having to do something now just because they're really, uh, they were already at a difficult position prior to this pandemic, and now this has kind of really put them over the edge. And in those cases, we walk them through the different options of, you know, what is a proposal, right? And a proposal is really uh, simply, it's an agreement that the, uh, the trustee is able to assist um, with the creditors to come up with some sort of settlement uh, to not pay all of the debt back generally, maybe some percentage of what you owe and, and make uh, some sort of uh, payment that a person would make uh, over a period of, say, five years, um, something that's more doable from a cash flow perspective for them. And that's what a, a proposal is, is the settlement. It's really flexible. Um, again, the problem with you know, making those commitments now is do people have jobs? Do they see their jobs being there for the next two months, three months? They don't know. And so there's where the hesitation comes into the proposal is it's hard for them to commit right now. And that's why a lot of people, when we're talking to them, some of them are opting to um, understand their options and maybe decide to um, delay until a later time when they have more clarity. The last run is bankruptcy where it's basically our job where the people come to us, we uh, are going to try to eliminate all of their debts for them. And as part of that, there's certain duties that they have to do. There's certain payments that they have to pay based on what their current income is. And the nice thing about bankruptcy is that it does reflect their current income. So as their in current income decreases, then some of the payments that they're required to pay in a bankruptcy would decrease. Vice versa, that also happens in a bankruptcy. If your income goes increases, then your requirement to pay in a bankruptcy may also increase as well. So that's the last resort is what we could offer is the bankruptcy. But really, generally, those are some of the options that are out there for people. Before we go, um, I'd like to ask each of you, what have you learned about yourselves during this pandemic? How has it changed you? Rob? When I think really philosophically about this. I think what I what I've also learned is to maybe I think back to a generation one or two before me who lived through the Great Depression. Because there's been a, a number of times I've read articles that has implied that 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 they've really kind of implied that maybe we could be hitting into a big depression here. Like not just a recession but a de depression. Um, and when I think about that, it, it kind of gives me a bit of the shivers because I, I, I only think back to what I, you know, could have read or heard from people who might have lived through the Great Depression as to what it was like to live at that time. But how people who lived through that, how that has impacted their lives forever. And, and how do we take the good from this pandemic to make, you know, to make our lives better, to make my life, you know, better into the future. One of the things that I, I think we've really learned from this is people who have lived through the Great Depression have have really, I think, permanently adjusted how they manage their money um, and their own financial situation for the rest of their lives. So many, many people who lived through, through the Great Depression, for example, you know, became savers. They wouldn't buy something unless they had the money to pay cash for it. Or, you know, maybe they would have a mortgage on their house, but they would, you know, they would really force themselves to save. They would have emergency funds because they've been exposed to what it's like to lose your job and not be able to get 
the income that you need to cover some of these even basic necessities in life. And I'm really optimistic that people you know, who have lived through the COVID-19 crisis will take some of those learnings and apply them to themselves into the future. I've got two, uh, two children who are in their early 20s, and I'm really hoping that they will look at this as a foundational moment of learning in their life, that you know they will understand that they don't ever want to be vulnerable again in the future to something out of their control. Um, and therefore, you know, that the things that we've been um, helping people to understand, like have an emergency fund, um, you know, that equals a couple months pay. Like don't, don't overextend yourself with credit. You know, if you want to buy that car, um, you really need to have all the options on it or should you go with, you know, something else so that you can manage your budget a little bit differently. And I really am optimistic that that will be one of the silver linings through this COVID situation is that a generation of people will learn how to manage their financial situation in a way that will avoid them ever having to have a financial uh, conversation, you know, with, with someone about how to manage their debt and, and, and their credit. Frank, could you share some closing thoughts with us? You know, I was just reflecting as Rob was talking about it, and, and for me, fear. I think, uh, I think that's all in the mind of all of us, right? The, the uncertainty of the situation, um, we're all looking for some clarity. This stuff, this whole situation is so fluid, it changes nightly, daily. And so for what I've tried to focus on, you know, as a leader in an organization, as a father, husband, all those sorts of things, I've really tried to discipline my fear and really focus on the positive. And, you know, it, the pandemics happen. I, I can't control it. But what I can control is how I respond so that might impact the outcome, right? And so for me, I'm really focusing on being positive. Um, um, you know, we're a great country. Um, great, uh, our, I've been really impressed and happy and not surprised at how we've all come together. I know we're going to come out of this on the other side even stronger, and I'm just keeping focused on that part of it and really focusing on the positives versus the fear. Sandy, final thoughts? I think that the thing that I've learned most is that uh, I'm adaptable to change, and I've learned new ways of communicating <laughs> with technology. I've learned how to, had to adapt from platform to platform. I think we now use about five different platforms to communicate with people that are all social based, and it's in, it's been impressive to watch various communities, including my home community and and in Alberta, communities come together and have discussions and have commentary about what does the future look like, how are people coping with it. That open communication, hopefully we're dropping some barriers about having discussions about finances. Uh, I think that I, I'm seeing that. And that's helpful because I often have had people come to me and they, they were, the last thing they want to talk about is that, that finance aspect of their life. And as we get more open with that, I think we meet the future challenges that We'll have individually, as a community, as communities, as provinces, and hopefully as a country, and we can find solutions to the longer-term problems that we're working with. I, I hope that we have that. I, as Frank said, we you have to approach every day as a new positive experience. And yeah, we don't know what the future looks like, but if we at least 
don't buy into the fears and the negativity. We're open to the future. A big thank you to my guests from Grant Thornton's consumer insolvency practice, Sandy Lyons, Frank Fabiano, and Rob Hunt. The resources referred to in this episode can be found at our podcast episode description. This has been a special COVID-19 episode of Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, brought to you by Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. In these uncertain times, be well, be kind, be safe. We're in this together. Mm-hmm.